want to ask a question uh, today. Why stay in the wilderness when you can live in the promised land? Why stay in the wilderness when you can live in the promised land? You know, it's such a, a privilege to join together here uh, in church, people from many, many different backgrounds, many, many different cultures, all, all over, not just this country, but all over the world, and uh, join together as a church to worship God. It's a privilege to be able to do that. And there's not many forums that, uh, that provide that sort of thing. I know when uh, the Lord Mayor's been here and, and uh, people like that, they're quite uh, astounded at the mixture of people. I think they just get a, a notion of what church people are, are like and, and, and that's it. But uh, I don't think they realize that, you know, we're from all over the world. And it's such an absolute privilege uh, to be able to do that. Such a wide variety of personalities all expressing their, their love for God. And this is why church, church is important. You know, Hebrews says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Church is God's idea. Church is God's idea. God ordained church people to gather together to worship him. And his word says, don't give up meeting together. Don't look at the weather and say, mm, let's chuck it down today. Let's not bother. We'll stay in. We can just watch it on, on YouTube or, or, or something like that. No, God joined us together in loving one another and discipling each other, not to enforce our preferences or opinions on each other or anything like that, but that we might encourage one another. Encourage one another to, to bring our lives into line with God's commands. That's what we're, we're meant to do with each other, to do that gently, to do that encouragingly. You know, Scripture says we're all one body, working together, helping and encouraging each other. And all of us, all of us have to change. All of us. And change is not really a welcome thing, is it? Not many of us like change. We live in a world of, of change. I think, um, how many times have we had a prime minister just lately? Change is happening all, all the time, isn't it? And um, actually, our experience of COVID-19 has been one of just endless changes. I know as a, as a pastor, ringing around various other pastors saying, what is this government guideline? What, what are they saying now? Because it was changing every single week. And uh, you didn't know whether you were coming or going, whether you could sing or whether you couldn't sing, whether you could wear masks or open the door or have a fan going or, or whatever. You know, and it was changing every week. And yet, God has been working through COVID-19. God has created in us a bit more flexibility. We're sort of like, we're sort of like more open to change, aren't we? You know, usually I can remember being in my first church, introducing a new chorus was, you know, I was hated for it. <laughs> Why are we singing new songs when we like the old ones? You know, but, uh, and there was a real resistance to anything, anything changing. And, uh, and yet, God's been using this time to sort of like get us used to being a bit more flexible, 
and a bit more open to change. Change is a hated word. It's almost a universal resistance. But when God speaks, humanity has to change. And if we resist, then what we're really manifesting is rebellion and a deep distrust in him. We've got to go with whatever God tells us to do, haven't we? We've got to go with him wherever he, he leads us. You see, the thing is, if we allow God to change us and bring us into line with what he wants, our submission to him doesn't bring restriction, it brings freedom. It brings freedom to, to live a life how God intends us uh, to be. And some of us need to change from a life weighed down by carnality and just doing our own thing. Some of us need to change from being super spiritual and a bit spooky. You know, we all know people like that, don't we? But either way, whether, you, whether you're spooky or whether you're so carnal, we have to change. We have to change. It's, it's possible. It's wonderful to, to be able to live how Jesus intends us to live. So I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. So my question this morning is, are you living in the promised land? Do you know what the promised land living looks like? Or would you rather stay somewhere else? We're going to look at three different places today. Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land. And we're going to look at descriptions of each of those places and recognize where we might be along, along that place. And uh, as Dan spoke last week about uh, uh, Israel crossing the Jordan, we're, we're there again. This is what we're, what we're looking at. And we'll look at descriptions of each of them. And you might realize that, uh, well, you might realize that you're stuck in Egypt. That's where you, you're in a place of restriction or even slavery today. Or the wilderness might be something that you're familiar with. And we'll read a description of that. Sadly, many Christians are still living in the wilderness thinking that it's the promised land because it's not quite what they thought it was. But we'll look at, look at both of them and uh, so that we don't make a mistake. So Exodus chapter 2 verse 23 says this, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, let me use this analogy. You've left Egypt. Egypt is, is long gone. Egypt was a place of slavery, a place of restriction. Freedom was a longing, a yearning, but it wasn't a, a reality. But if you're a Christian this morning, you've left uh, Egypt. If you're not following Jesus today, then you probably long for that freedom. Long for something that you can't quite describe. It's, it's, it's a yearning for that heaviness to go. That heaviness, the Bible explains, is our own sin. It's the sin of humanity that we're all, we're all born into, our own selfish way. And it's that heaviness, that sin, that separates humanity from God. And you'll never know God if you stay in Egypt. You'll never know God if you stay in that slavery to sin. Jesus spoke in John chapter 3 to a fellow called Nicodemus. And Jesus said to him, you must 
be born again. You must be born again. Being born again is not a strange term invented by an American evangelist or anything like that. Probably it's uh, abused a little bit. But in fact, being born again brings you back to normality. Let me explain. God created humanity for relationship with him. It was normal for man to have a relationship with God. But sin entered the world through mankind rejecting what God said and doing what, what they wanted. And sadly, most of humanity does that. Reject what God says and just do their own thing. God created humanity for a relationship with him. If you're not born again, you feel awkward. And you can't, quite, you, you can't quite put your finger on why you feel awkward. But you do feel awkward. You feel awkward because you're not actually living your life as God intended you. You've not got that relationship with Jesus. When you get that relationship with Jesus, you're made normal. You're made how you were created to be. And that awkwardness is that abnormality of just living with sin. God wants a relationship with you. He wants a loving relationship with you. A person leaves Egypt by being born again. How do you get born again? You get born again by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, by recognizing that you need Jesus in your life. You need him to be your Lord. And repenting of your sin, confessing that you're a sinful person, that you need his, his forgiveness. And when you come like this, then slavery is gone because God never intended any of us to live there. He intends, it says in Scripture, it's God's will that everyone is saved. God yearns and longs for that relationship with all humanity, but God has given humanity a free will, and it's up to us to choose that way. But God never intended anybody to stay in Egypt. If you don't know Jesus today, then please come and talk to me afterwards. Come and talk to a, a Christian who you know, who you respect, and ask them about how you become a Christian. Ask them if they can just pray with you and lead you to Jesus, because let me tell you, it'd be the best thing that you ever did. But God also never intended for anyone to live in the wilderness for a long time either. The wilderness is, well, it's exactly what it is. It's a hard place to live. It's not a great place to set up home. There's nothing in the wilderness. It's dry. It's scrub. He planned for everyone to go all the way through the wilderness. But sadly, somewhere along the line, humanity gets stuck in the wilderness. And that's what happened to Israel. For 40 years, they went round and round the wilderness. They were stuck in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 29, verses 5 and 6, gives a description of it. During the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor your sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord. Now, you might hear that description and think, well, that's not quite how I thought the wilderness to be. And I was the same as you. I, I thought a wilderness experience was just a, a time of no power, a time of no anointing, a totally dry 
time in life. And many people use that term, don't they? Oh, I'm going through a bit of a, a bit of a wilderness. But actually, it's not true. In Deuteronomy, it shows that there's a degree of God's power, a degree of God's anointing. Only a degree, but some great spectacular things happened. That's why many folk are in the wilderness believing that they're in the promised land, but they're actually not. Shoes and clothes never wore out. Well, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. If you're trudging around the wilderness for 40 years, you know, your shoes would wear out, but God provided a miracle. They had daily room service. There was, there was no food. There was no supermarkets. There was no chip shops or anything like that, but God provided manna every single day. That was a miracle. Every single day, Israel would just reach out of their, their tents and bring in the manna to eat. That was the wilderness. Miracles were happening. Provision was happening. It says that Israel by day was led by a pillar of cloud. That's quite spectacular. It says by night, Israel was led by a pillar of fire. It's even more spectacular. So amazing things were happening in the wilderness, but God never intended them to stay there. That wasn't where he wanted them to stay. Israel, they didn't have to work. They didn't have to plant. They didn't have to harvest, but God provided in miraculous ways. So you can be in the wilderness and have a degree of the miraculous, but we shouldn't become comfortable or complacent in that. God intends us not to live there. He wants to lead us on. So let's look at a description of the promised land. Numbers 13, verse 26. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, where they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land they gave. Uh, sorry, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And we, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites, they live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the Red Sea along the Jordan. The promised land was a good land flowing with good things. It actually says that in verse 27, but it doesn't end there. There were strong and powerful people there. God was saying, are you ready for this promised land? Are you ready to, to live there? You, you may have heard some wonderful stories. You may have sang beautiful songs, but the reality hit the people of Israel uh, as it does us sometimes, in the promised land, there's battles to fight. In the promised land, there's work to be done. And the wilderness, well, that's quite easy. You just sit back and God provides in miraculous ways. But the promised land is a bit different. You have to work. You have to fight. Many of Israel didn't really like the look of that. You know, the promised land is not actually a white river flowing with milk. There's not actually a golden well of honey. 
There's cows to milk, and you might get kicked every now and again. There's bees to, what do you do with bees, Sandra? Do you farm bees or, yeah, whatever. But you get stung every now and again. And you know what? You, you think to yourself, is this the promised land? I'm getting kicked every now and again or, or stung. But it was. They didn't just go to a, a, a river and get a glass of milk. They had to work. They had to get dirty. The idea that when you reach this wonderful land that you won't have to live for finger is foolish. It's not a biblical one. God has provided, but we have to work. We have to get stuck in. In the wilderness... Israel had it easy. They were catered for each morning. Now they were going to have to work, and they didn't like it. For 40 years, they didn't have to do much. Maybe that's why they grumbled a lot. But when they crossed the river, they were looking for things to be even easier. But they encountered work. They encountered battles. It wasn't what they were expecting. See, there are many people who think they're in the promised land, but really, they're in the wilderness. They experience a degree of God's blessing. They're quite well off, quite, quite comfortable, and they're, they're seeing other folk really breaking out and going forward in God and trying to do new things. But they look at them and they think, oh, they're going a bit far, aren't they? You see, most wilderness people think that promised land people are a bit crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you go over there when everything's laid on for you here? We don't have to go anywhere or do any, anything. We don't have to, to work hard. Who wants to milk a cow anyway? Laziness sets in if you stay in the wilderness. We have to realize that for too long, the church in general has been too lazy to get up and work and see the job done. The usual stats, and I'm sure it's not for this church, the usual stats are 10% of people in church do the work of 100%. And some people work absolutely their fingers to the bone. And, uh, and other people drift in and drift out, and that, that's all you see of them. I'm sure it's not the same in this place, but anyway. But the Bible teaches that you have to labor before you enter into your rest. And spiritual labor is... About four things, really. It's the fight of faith. It's trusting in God when you can't see things. It's submitting your, th your, 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 your trust to him when you, when you really can't see the answer. It's the work of prayer. It's knuckling down and praying things into existence that you don't see yet. That's work. It's sacrificial living. Not your own preferences, not what makes you comfortable, but actually going out of your way for others. It's sacrificial giving as well. You know, you might be saving for all kinds of stuff to help yourself. But hey, there's the work of God as well. Sacrificial giving is important. This is the work of God. And if people ask, can I get involved, Pastor, in the church? I say, yes, get involved. Get involved in prayer. Get involved in, in faith. Get involved in living and giving. Oh, and then you've got a battle to, to win or, or one or two battles. You see, we don't have, we don't have uh, all the ites that they had there. We don't have the Amorites or the, or the Hittites, but we have our own enemies to face. And sometimes it's a real battle, and we feel like we've been battered and got out from every, every quarter. But... That's what the promised land is. That's what the promised land is. This summer, 
I couldn't get away from a particular passage in Isaiah 42. You know, when you keep reading and rereading, and uh, I just couldn't get away, with, away with, from it. And um, I asked uh, just Dan and Julia in the office, they were just in the office one day. I said, will you read this passage? And let's meet up in a week's time, and you come back, tell me what you think. Because, like, you know, I, I just can't get away from it. And uh, I want to read it over you this morning prophetically. And I want you to really sort of like hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church this morning. Because uh, it's quite a long reading, but there's especially one particular line that really weighed heavy on me. And I really think it's uh, for us as a church. Isaiah 42 says this. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow weak or discouraged before he has established justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose and I will take hold of your hand and I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations to open the eyes of the blind and to bring prisoners out of the dungeon and those sitting in darkness out from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Behold, the former things have happened and now I declare new things before they spring forth. I proclaim them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who dwell in them, let the desert and its cities raise their voices. Let the villages of Kedar cry aloud. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them cry out from the mountain tops. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the islands. The Lord goes forth like a mighty one. He stirs up his zeal like a warrior. He shouts, yes, he roars in triumph over his enemies. I have kept silent from ages past. I have remained quiet and restrained, but now I will groan like a woman in labor, and I will at once grasp and pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. And they will turn, I will turn their rivers into dry land and drain the marshes. I will lead the blind by the way that they did not know. I will guide them on unfamiliar paths. I will turn darkness into light before them and rough places into level ground. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols and say to molten images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter 
shame. I don't know what line stood out to you, but for me, that particular line, I will guide them amongst unfamiliar paths, just couldn't, just didn't leave me. And I really, really could not get away from that what unfamiliar paths. And I asked Dan and Julia to pray over it, and uh, we met a week later, and well, Dan said, he said, well, we've been through unfamiliar times, haven't we? COVID was unfamiliar and God's shown his faithfulness to us. And of course, he's not wrong. That, that is correct. But I don't know about you, but I have a strong sense that that was just the beginning. Just the beginning. COVID has taught us to be flexible. It's been an unfamiliar path, but God's got many unfamiliar paths for us to take. God is looking for a people who will listen to him and obey his voice. Israel stood at the banks of the Jordan and they could see into the promised land. But Joshua had to make that step into the water to see it start to part. That's a scary time. That's an unfamiliar path. But he obeyed God and Israel was led into the promised land. Promised land living is unfamiliar. Wilderness living is quite comfortable and familiar and nothing surprising, really. Everything's laid on. But promised land living is walking down unfamiliar ways. And God is saying to us as a church, as Derby City Church, I believe to the church in our nation, maybe to the world, you know, I'm going to lead you down unfamiliar paths. This has been uh, just the start of it. But my kingdom is like living in the promised land. You've got to be prepared to go down these unfamiliar paths. Let me challenge people who are watching this morning and probably you still haven't been to church, actually in the fellowship. What's God saying? God is saying, don't give up meeting together. It's easy. Let's face it, it's easy to stay at home and watch but is that promised land living? Is that mixing with people who knock chunks off you? <laughs> or, or maybe help you to be a better disciple? It's not really. We can, all, we can all live in isolation. But really and truly, that's living in the wilderness. And you'll see a degree of the miraculous. You'll see a degree of God's provision. Because God loves you. But God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to come into the promised land. He wants you to come back into the fellowship. He wants you to experience what promised land living is. And as a church, go into the unfamiliar, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, saying to one another, we can do this, you can do this. God has amazing plans for Derby City Church. Things that we, we could never dream of. Never believe, but we will have to work hard to see them. We're going to have to work together to see them. We have battles to fight, no doubt, and we will get tired, and we will get tempted to turn back and long for the familiar days, but God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to embrace the unfamiliar because he said, then you will trust me, then you will go with me, then you will show, uh, see my provision. Are you ready for promised land living? Or would you rather stay in the wilderness?
It's up to you. Let's pray. Band, if you want to come up. I have kept silent from ages past. I have remained quiet and restrained, but now I will groan like a woman in labor. I will at once gasp and pant. I will lay waste to the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into dry land and drain their marshes. I will lead the blind by a way they did not know. I will guide them on unfamiliar paths. I will turn darkness into light before them and rough places into level ground. These things I will do for them and I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols and say to molten images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Lord, help us, your people, today. Be discerning people. Discern what is Egypt, where we were, what you saved us from. Discern what is wilderness, a place where we're not meant to reside for any length of time. But help us, Lord, step into this promised land living, prepared to roll up our sleeves, to work and to battle and to see your kingdom come. Father, we know, Lord, that that's not an easy place. And yet, Lord, it is the promised place. So, Father, lead us, we pray, and help us in faith to go forward in you. Bless you, Lord.